All right. Well, welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for this evening, and I'm joined by some very good friends, new friends, actually, that I will get to introduce in a little bit. But we are a ministry that seeks to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. That um, sounds like an alliteration, but that's actually intentional. We go to the believer first. We think that apologetics belongs to the believer first before it belongs to the seeker. Uh, And that's what we're kind of doing this evening, guys. We're trying to sharpen each other. And uh, we might, uh, for some of you, challenge what a believer is. So that's going to be fun tonight. Um, Now, if you've been on my Facebook, you will know that we're going to be talking about this topic, and we're titling it Catholics and Protestant Conversations, Why They Matter. All right? So maybe a fancy word for that is ecumenism. But really, we want to talk a little bit about the distinctives, and not not dwell too much on the distinctives between uh, and what makes them different, Uh, between Catholics and Protestants, but more on why we need to have more conversations together. So with me tonight to help help us do that, I've got Anthony Costello. Uh, He's become a a good friend, and I think we have a mutual friend uh, who we're close to, Jacob Daniels, and you know that he's part of this uh, show when I host Apologetics.com Radio. And... uh, a dear friend of Anthony, and it's he's quickly becoming a good friend too. Andrew, I just met him this evening, but uh, he's a fellow Biola person, just graduated, and uh, so I want to welcome the both of you. But let's start with Anthony. I, w- I want to introduce everybody to Anthony Costello. How are you? Introduce yourself a little bit, and then we'll talk about your uh, project with Talbot School of Theology. Right. Well, and thanks, thanks again, Harry. I know uh, we were trying to get this going a few times, and uh, finally been able to make it. Um, unfortunately, I do have a little bit of a cold that I got from my two-year-old. It's not uh, the coronavirus. Right? I hope right. not. Yeah, okay. I hope, but who knows these days? It starts out simple, <laughs> getting worse. But uh, hopefully, I can make it through. Um, Where's my mask? <laughs> right. At least I have a nice cup of tea here to get me through. I feel like William Lane Craig with his cup of tea whenever he gives lectures. <laughs> yeah. Well, not that much. But um, yeah, my name is Anthony Costello. I usually go by Tony to my friends. And uh, I am a graduate from Talbot School of Theology. I did a couple degrees there, two master's degrees. Um, of course, I never would have known uh, about Biola University or Talbot School of Theology growing up because I grew up on the south side of Chicago uh, to a very traditional and conservative uh, Roman Catholic family. So all of my uh, early education uh, was either through the nuns or the brothers, uh, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, and then um, did my bachelor's degree at the University of Notre Dame. Um, Is that how you really pronounce it, Notre Dame? Notre Dame, if you you want to sound pretentious, I suppose. (laughs) I think it's it's in America, it's Notre Dame, the university. And then uh-huh. Notre the Dame, cathedral, the cathedral Notre Dame. which unfortunately Notre, Notre had a, Dame. some serious fire damage yeah, last yeah, year, as yes. I recall. But um, so, but I, I did have an adult conversion, um, a very dramatic uh, religious conversion, to the first time I stepped foot in an evangelical church at the age of thirty-four. Uh, I was in the military at the time, and uh, I was primarily interested in the girl who was bringing me to the church. <laughs> 
Uh, little did I know that the Lord would take hold of me there. And after that experience, which is now uh, just almost 10 years ago, um, I started reading the Bible, and I just found that I had a renewed or a new relationship with Jesus. And I sort of, uh, at that point, went through a kind of deconstruction of many of my previous uh, Catholic beliefs. Not all of them, for sure, but some of them. And uh, wound up becoming just a, a very devout evangelical Christian. Um, after some time in the Army and one tour to Afghanistan, I came back and I uh, fell in love with Christian apologetics. I had never, again, growing up, I, we didn't really know any uh, evangelical voices. So maybe we knew who Billy Graham was. Right. But even there, like, I didn't know much about him. But um, after my conversion, and I found uh, guys like Ravi Zacharias and R.C. Sproul and just started listening to all that stuff online. Um, uh, read uh, Lee Strobel's book which I'm actually friends with Kyle Strobel, his son. So I told him the story that I, f I read that book sitting in Bagram Airfield in Afghanistan, and it really got me hooked on apologetics and eventually found Biola University. And after I finished up in the Army, uh, my wife and I, we moved out here, and I did uh, the master's degree in apologetics there and then also tacked on the MA in theology yeah. at Talbot. I you know I wanted to mention Anthony because I know it. This is public. It's in a podcast somewhere. But uh, I think a friend of yours interviewed you about your conversion. So for anyone interested, uh, just look up AK forty seven. I think. Right. 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 Uh, Kyle Hendricks. Uh, there you go. And his friend his name's Aaron, and that's where they get the AK forty seven. Got podcast. it. All right. But you might be led into some uh, <laughs> suspicious sites there. So tr try to. Complete that search term, AK-47 podcast, Keith and, <laughs> right. and Anthony yeah. Costello, then you'll, you'll get there and not some, uh, you know. Not some, some Russian uh, That's right, that's that, right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I did listen to it, Anthony, just so you know, and it was pretty impressive. And uh, you actually got, uh, I mean, first of all, you're a, you were a bona fide Catholic person and uh, went to Notre, Notre Dame, and I mean, you did... The whole thing. Yeah, I had the, you, you kind of the it. full scope the, of Catholic education yeah. growing up. And uh, I know you spent, you had a stint in uh, the armed forces, and uh, you said you even qualified for special forces. Pretty yeah, it's, it was, okay, so this is, this is kind of interesting, because um, my first duty station, my only duty station was Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which is also home of the 82nd Airborne Division Special Forces uh, operations. And um, I was sort of bored my first year in the Army, so I decided to go up the road to Camp McCall, which is where Special Forces Selection uh, is, and just try out. And before I went, I was not a believer at the time, uh, and I was into all kinds of... By this time in my life, at 33, 34 years old, I was I had very synchronistic in my beliefs. I, I was deeply into, like, yoga and martial arts and, like, you know, like, honing my chi and, you know, <laughs> thought I could you know, kind of do anything if I just pulled myself up by my bootstraps. And so it was sort of conducive to this life of trying to go down the road of special forces, which I, and I always have to say this, I, I never completed the whole course. So I never became a Green Beret. I, I finished my time with the 82nd Airborne Division. So I want to make that clear because we want to be clear about things like that. But I was in the program for about uh, 17 months, got through a couple of the phases, but not all of them. Uh, but I went out there, and I remember when I went out to selection phase, uh, you know, right before that, I had um, 
I had been given a Bible by a friend before I left for the Army. It's called the Soldier's Bible. I have it actually here in my bag. And I tried reading it uh, before I went out because I just wanted some spiritual manna. You know, I wanted to, like, read something that was going to inspire me and toughen me up and get me prepared for that. And I remember I thought, oh, you know what? I'll read the, the story about the, the guy who gets swallowed by the whale. You know, so I opened to the book. So I opened to the book of Job. Forty chapters nice. later, I'm like, "Where's the story of the whale guy with the whale? Like this, this stunk, you know." Yeah. And uh, but you know, it's funny because um, after uh, my conversion, uh, just about six months later, I went back to my Bible, and uh, it was it was an amazing difference, right? I mean, the when we say that the Holy Spirit illuminates scriptures to us. And so many people have had this experience where, you know, you can pick up a Bible, but if you have not had a, an encounter with the Holy Spirit, if you don't have that relationship with the living God, they, the Bible can be just like words on a page. But with the Holy Spirit in my life, I mean, the scriptures just came alive. And, you know, that old saying of the Bible starts to read you. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it was like after my conversion. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I was... Uh, for about 17 months in this, what it's called the Special Forces Q course, or the, you know called the pipeline. Uh, but eventually, a lot of had changed while I was in there. I had this conversion. I got married uh, to the same girl who brought me to that evangelical church, and it just started. It dawned on me that this is really wasn't my calling. So I went back to the regular army and and finished up my time with the 82nd Airborne. And then that's also who I went to uh, Afghanistan with. Yeah. Okay. Well, I haven't forgotten about you, Andrew, and, uh, <laughs> but to me it's important that we get to know you guys first because what we're really going to talk uh, about later uh, ha- has a lot to do with your individual journeys, mm-hmm. and so it's important that we get to know you guys and how you um, just came to be where you are right now in terms of your commitment to yeah. uh, evangelicalism, and then to you, Andrew, mm-hmm. to Catholicism. Right. So you had a conversion, the opposite of Anthony. You uh, uh, were raised an evangelical or a Protestant, and uh, and then even uh, just before going to Biola, you converted to Catholicism. So let's t- yeah. tell t- tell us what's going <laughs> on there. That's interesting, and and you end up at Biola anyways. Yes, and and I know you. Anyways, well, tell us a little bit about your story. Andrew, this right. is fascinating. Yeah, well, it wasn't exactly uh, cut and dry. So, yes, it was before Biola when I encountered uh, a Catholic who actually had a personal relationship with Jesus, and it was very tangible and hard to deny. And, yeah, being raised in uh, evangelical Protestant, and I went to a, a, a very Reformed school, I didn't quite have the highest view of Catholics, and the Catholics <laughs> that I did know didn't seem to have a, a personal faith that they um, that motivated their their practice in their religion. And so seeing this Catholic girl who uh, definitely did have that... It's always personal, a girl. It wow. is always a girl. It, it's always... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's fine. But it was great to get to know her because she had this faith that was definitely genuine. And so that that put me on a road that summer before going to Biola. So I was already committed to go there. And it was really that freshman fall and spring where I was asking questions about... Uh, what I had been taught about Catholicism and is that true and finding out that a lot of it was half true and also just misperception. And, um, yeah, I kind of posed the question to myself, uh, can I come home to, you know, what I, I came to believe was the historical church. Um, and so, yeah, that's the long and short of it. But, yeah, very much a similar uh, 
situation with and, really- and not only did you end up at Biola Biola is a non-denominational evangelical uh, right. private Christian right. university uh, but you also started a club there why don't you tell us yes. what club that is yes and, and, and tell us uh, a little bit about the mission and vision of the club maybe how large the membership is yeah sure thing so my sophomore year I realized that uh, well, there's probably about 90 Catholics on campus, and at that time, Biola took the denomination of each student at registration for every semester. So we actually had a good idea, and it was about 90 at that point. Mm. But I knew maybe about two or three, and so uh, it was very sparsely populated. I mean, we didn't really know each other. So I wanted to start something that, hey, we can start this uh, community to kind of support each other and come alongside each other and kind of say, hey, I see you. I see you on campus. I'm not alone. Um, and then also just encourage each other to be positive re- representatives of the, the Catholic faith at Biola, but then also hopefully beyond that. And then also to kind of engage with the theological discussion at Biola. And so, yeah, we started that club. It started off with about four of us in a classroom. And I think it's probably up to about 10 now. I was able to mm-hmm. pass off the uh, the leadership this last uh, fall. And um yeah, I, I think they're thriving out there. So, That's great. Yeah. That's great. So again, uh, this evening's topic is Catholic and Protestant conversations, why they matter. Yeah. And so we're having conversation right now, but you know what? Our listening audience might want to participate and ask questions of each of you in terms of how you uh, came about settling on your faith right now, one evangelical, one Catholic. So if you want to join our conversation, give us a call at 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. So uh, I I know both of you guys are involved in this uh, sort of newish, newly founded organization within an organization. Um, (laughs) Tell us about that. It's Truth That Matters. T- tell us about that, uh, uh, Anthony. Right. Um, and the Truth That Matters series that we're doing at uh, Talbot School of Theology, uh, Biola University, it was sort of uh, born out of a vision uh, that I had. Um, I mean, mainly it was a, a personal vision, obviously, growing up Catholic and then having this dramatic conversion at the age of 34, but then still having a, you know, a family that is entirely Catholic uh, and, you know, believing Catholics. I mean, people who take their faith seriously and you know, having a good relationship with my own family and and having to, you know, in a sense, struggle through this. This was for them uh, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. different. I remember um, when uh, when we were pregnant with our first child, uh, my mother's concern over whether or not we would have the child mm-hmm. baptized yeah. in the Catholic Church, and we had to say, no, that is not sort of mm. the trajectory that we're on as evangelicals. So, um, you know, several years of conversations with my Catholic family, and there was, where there's been a lot of uh, good back and forth. Uh, seen my, when, when is it too old for the child to no longer qualify as that? As, as, as what? Being baptized as an infant. Oh. When, when is it? When, when, when is a child too old so that it doesn't, it's not qualified as an uh, infant baptism? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know that there's anything in canon law about that. I mean, certainly, Andrew, how old were you at your baptism? Well, I grew up (laughs) non-denominational, so I was 14. That's right. Um, I mean, the only reason I asked is because you said uh, it took years for your for your family to have conversations around these important issues. I'm thinking, oh, you had an infant right there. Oh, well, um, 
Okay, so I should say that. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if, you yeah. know, they kept yeah. badgering you about that. All right, no, when no, is this going to happen? You know, when is this after, um, after that first conversation, I mean, early on, there were some endeavors of my parents to maybe, like, try and lead um, my wife and I back to the Catholic faith. Like, well, not her. She grew up Baptist. But, you know, like, my dad got a Robert Barron book mm-hmm. for her for Christmas mm-hmm. and his Sly. series on Catholicism, like the 10 DVD mm. set. And, you know, and, and at one point I Subtle said, look, things. you know, Dad, like, just you know, let's. But, you know, they, my, my family has been excellent, though, about um, coming into my evangelical world. So whenever uh, they were visiting either in North Carolina or out here, they were always willing to uh, come to our churches, That's uh, great. to pray with, worship with us. So they've been great um, about just being open to that. Um, and actually, I'll come back to it a little bit later because, you know, when you get down to some of the uh, commonalities as yeah. well, I mean, we there's a recognition that you're still dealing with, you know, um, you know, a, a follower of Jesus, right? Somebody who loves the Lord, you know. Um, but. Uh, you know, so, but then when I came out here to Talbot to do my degrees, I mean, I also noticed some, I'd say some trends. It's anecdotal, but, you know, I had several friends who just, A, wanted to either just know more about Catholicism. They'd grown up evangelical. This was very foreign to them. But they had friends or maybe family members, and they didn't know how to talk to them or engage with them. And they just wanted to understand what Catholic theology was taught and, and you know, what it was like to grow up Catholic. But then I even st- we you know started noticing friends who were getting very interested in Catholicism, and I have I can think of three folks um, who graduated from Talbot who are now in their RCIA programs. Yeah. Uh, so there there is a trend I think we could say of people who grew up in at least American evangelicalism having a sort of maybe disenchantment, yeah. Andreno, with uh, evangelical Christianity, at least this expression of it. And looking back more towards what we might call his more historical forms of the church, sure. that, that we could contest that, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and being drawn to maybe not just Roman Catholicism, but even Eastern Orthodoxy. Right. And, um, and when we see this at, um, with, well, we've seen this at like, within like academic circles with folks like Frank Beckwith. Yeah. But now we're even seeing it. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to say too much about Francis Chan because I don't know exactly what's going on there. I, I, I don't think he's converted to Catholicism, but clearly he's embracing a more Catholic sort of vision or tone mm-hmm. in some of his teaching, which I think is fine. I mean, I think he's just trying to do some of this dialogue that we're trying to do as well. So these are things that I thought culturally are going on that I'm seeing and it seemed like, boy, Talbot, Biola, this would be a great place to sort of like have these kinds of conversations. Let's embrace this. And if anything, in this culture, what we would want to always work towards is, is clarity. Yeah, right. Like, what are yeah. the actual beliefs of Catholics? Yeah. Uh, what does sola scriptura really mean? Yeah. Because there's so many misconceptions out there on both sides mm-hmm. about what the other side believes. And then the third is really a spiritual calling. And that's where we look at, I think, John chapter 17 and Jesus's uh, high priestly prayer for a unity amongst the body of Christ. And I think then it's not just that we are being culturally reactive, because there's also a lot of places where Catholics and evangelicals are just sort of hand to hand. Yeah, I mean, in the, the culture together. wars and the social issues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that this is really a perennial call on yeah. the church to always be working towards unity. Yeah. 
yeah. where we can. Where yeah, I, I think that's super important, Tony. Thanks for sharing that. And I know we've got a caller on hold, so we will get to your call. But I, I just wanted to add that um, when Jesus prays for us uh, and uh, desires for us to be united, I think that's a significant uh, passage that we all need to meditate upon, read it, and really know what it means for uh, our Lord mm-hmm. praying for us, you know, into the future, saying that we all should be one. And um, if, if that does not happen, w- what does that say about our Lord, right, and, and about our faith? So uh, I, I think it's that's extre- a big... It's extremely important. I mean, it is. I mean the it's prayer, big... I mean, from him himself, but I mean, also just the placement of it yeah. in the garden as he's contemplating going to the cross. That's right. I mean, it, it is that, you know, crunch time where he's yeah. praying for this. When it's I, close to his yeah. heart. So, so I, I just wanted to say that uh, when we are divided, it, it, that's a really good... Um, defeater for Christianity. I don't know if we've just considered that, you know, when mm-hmm. the church is divided, that is one of the best defeaters for Christianity. Well, I mean, you look at sin as a as a concept in general. I mean, sin is a divisive force. It yeah. divides us from God and then it divides us from each other as well. Yeah. And, so, and I think yeah. one of the things to have, and Andrew and I were talking about this and this is one of the visions of the Truth That Matters series, which uh, which I didn't really clarify is a series where we bring in some of the best uh, Catholic and evangelical theologians in the country yeah. to have discussions on the, these classical uh, areas of theology that still divide uh, the church. So we go yeah. through these these weightier issues of church dogma yeah. where there's still disagreement. And, and the key here is we're not looking to solve dogmatic mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's been 500 years. Yeah, it's not going to happen in a night. Um, But in the process, and I think this is key, in the process, we can honor the Lord in the process of trying our best to seek theological and religious truth. And there can be a real exchange of spiritual goods between men and women of good faith in both communities. In, in a little bit, I'll, I'll have you, Tony, just do a plug for the upcoming Truth That Matters event, all right? So just say that for uh, a moment, but I will bring in Jason from L.A., and he has a question about Catholics, I guess how conversion uh, ought to take place onto Jesus. Jason, are Hello. you there? You're on the uh, on the air with Apologetics.com Radio. Do you have a comment or a question? Hi, good morning, fellas. Thank yeah, good morning. Good morning, Jason. And uh, I guess I have a question and also a prayer request. And um, I was wondering, um, how can I approach coworkers that are uh, been Catholics for a while and um, they're very sincere, and um, I just don't know how to ask them, hey, if something were to happen to you today, you know, how do you know you're getting to heaven? Where is your uh, assurance in mm. the eternal life after this life lies? It on the basis of Jesus, the scriptures, or the saints, or, or Mary? And what kind of questions did you all wrestle with that perhaps kind of help you reach that crossroad and go, hey, you know what? This is actually worth considering. What What am I believing about my faith that's going to help me know that my relationship with God Almighty is going to see me through to the other side, and, and what, can, what can I rest on? How, 
how do I approach a coworker without burning a bridge and get them to maybe consider those things? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. I think that's a question we could spend a, a whole hour on yeah, just trying to answer. It. Um, because, I mean, I think one thing uh, that Andrew and I would both agree on is that you do need a personal relationship with yeah. the Lord Jesus. Um, that's yeah. fundamental to just being Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be nominal Catholics as well as sort of nominal yeah. uh, Protestants. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, only the good Lord Himself knows uh, who is truly saved. I, I would I would say if if you yeah. feel that these uh, colleagues of yours, I mean, if they're if they're devout in their beliefs, I mean, treat them as as um, you know as saved brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I mean, I I always say from a Protestant perspective. I think Andrew's going to agree with this too. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Scripture is always always a good place to start. I mean, if if uh, yeah. we can always open the Bible with them, and one of the one of the great, I think, uh, exchanges again of spiritual gifts between me and my own father, was my father always read at mass, hmm. but he never read the Bible at home, hmm. like just through books of the Bible and studied it himself until I became an evangelical Christian. Was oh, constantly wow. talking about the Bible with him. <laughs> And now he's read through it like one and a half times. So I think Scripture is always a good place. Just if if they're open to having conversations about Scripture, um, then that's a good place to start yeah. with trying to have just some decent conversations and talks with them. Yeah, Jason, I'm going to agree with Tony there is, of course, uh, our personal relationship with Jesus comes first. I mean, that is the cornerstone of everything. And so if you feel that that's absent from your, your coworker's life, well, then encourage them towards that. Uh, but also keep in mind that their, the way that their personal relationship with Christ works out in their life and their faith and how they do that day to day or week to week could look very differently from how you do. It could take place in uh, frequenting uh, adoration of the Blessed, blessed Sacrament and being present with uh, where they believe Jesus actually is. And so it could look very different from from your practice, but uh, yeah, just keep in mind that that personal relationship can look different person to person in tradition to tradition. So, But always encourage them to Jesus. That's the point of all of the things in the Catholic Church and the saints and Marys to point us to Christ. Hey, Jason, thanks for your call. I hear the music. We're going to be coming up on a station break, so keep listening. We have uh, 30 more minutes on this program. So again... Thanks for uh, your support, Jason. Keep listening. No problem, guys. And please pray for my sister. She grew up in the faith, and now she's more cultural faith than it is devout faith. So I would appreciate prayers for the sister. Have a great night, guys. Jason's sister. All right. Thank you, Jason. Have a great night, Jason. All right. Well, I hear the music. That means we're going to come up on a station break. But uh, you have been listening to Apologetics.com radio, and we will continue the conversation on the other side of the break. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everyone has ideas about God. Unfortunately, many people hold false ideas about Him, and these ideas have consequences. Some false ideas have led people to worship a God of their own making, while others have led people to reject God altogether. This year, we've devoted an entire conference to answering the most common false ideas about God. Is God anti-gay? Is God good? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? These are just a few of the topics we'll be addressing. 
The only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. We're at war. It's not a war of bombs and bayonets. It's not a war against flesh and blood. In fact, it's not a physical war at all. It's a spiritual war. That's why Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil's primary scheme is deception. He wants us to believe false ideas about God. And the only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. Simply put, we combat deception with truth. It's unfathomable to imagine sending young men and women off to fight a physical war without proper training. Yet, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we do this all the time. The vast majority of our students are simply not prepared for the spiritual battle that awaits them. At this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences, we're training students to counter the lies of the enemy. Lies like God does not exist, God is anti-gay, Muslims and Christians worship the same God are just a few of the false ideas we'll be addressing. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Well, welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. That pre-recorded voice you just heard on the appeal is my good friend Lindsay. I know uh, you you hear him every week, uh, but I just wanted to uh, remind our listeners: we are a listener-supported ministry, five hundred one c three. We're nonprofit. And we've been doing this now for over 20 years. And we are, like I said, listener-supported. When we make the appeal, we are hoping and praying that you would um, support us financially. We are all—we don't have any salaries in our budget. We are all volunteers. So all of the monies, 100% of it goes straight to our radio costs. we even pay our own gas uh, to, to get here. So if you would, if you are benefiting from this, you're being blessed by it, please consider a gift to, to us. You can go to our website, um, www.apologetics.com, and click that Donate button. We'd appreciate it. All right, so this evening, I have Anthony Costello and Andrew Morgan quickly becoming good friends, and they have embarked on this journey where... Uh, one of them 
switch from being a Protestant to a Catholic, and the other one switch from being a Catholic to a Protestant. But they're here together. They love each other. They're both brothers, and they're encouraging us. Andrew is a much younger brother. <laughs> there you go. A young brother. I have less life experience. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they are encouraging us to continue the dialogue uh, because perhaps maybe our differences are not that great, that we have enough common ground uh, from which we can build upon. So uh, tell us more. Uh, be specific. Uh Truth That Matters, it's going to happen soon. This is going to be the second right. installation, second event, yes. and, and and it's you, really exciting, yeah. the speakers mm-hmm. that you have. So tell us more right. about it. Get us excited about it, Tony. And, and, and you were at the first one, Harry. I think you actually yes. recorded it for yeah. us yeah, that's right. um, yep. on the fly, nonetheless. Um, and this, uh, this year, we actually have two uh, main events booked uh, in, on April 19th. Um, public's invited, right? Public is invited. We want a healthy mix of students, faculty, staff, priests, pastors, you know, anybody from the community who's interested in the Church of Jesus Christ should be at this event because um, not only uh, do we have really some of the best theologians who are interested and in, you know in this discussion and coming mm-hmm. to us to, to participate. Um, but again, this is just something where I think everybody can benefit from this. Um, you can benefit it at the scholarly level, but it also, again, just the fellowship, I think, uh, that uh, the Lord wants us to have is going to be very important. We have, uh, on April 19th, Kevin Van Hooser, um, who I believe is at Trinity now, although he was at Wheaton for many years, Trinity Evangelical uh, Ted's up in uh, mm-hmm. in Illinois. Uh, it was one of the leading, I mean, Protestant theologians in the country. Uh, anybody who studies systematic theology or biblical theology even knows who Kevin Van Hooser is. And his counterpart is Matthew Levering. Uh, that name might not be as familiar to an evangelical audience, but Matthew is just He's a stud (laughs) when it comes to theology. He's a beast. Mm. He's got about 30 books under his belt and um, and just a brilliant guy, wonderful guy. I actually uh, spoke to him for the first time uh, the other day. Actually, him and Kevin are like neighbors. They live like 10 minutes apart. (laughs) So, um, so, and they're going to be discussing scripture and authority. Mm. Um, You know, we're starting off with sort of the issue, the, these, uh, uh, you know what in systematic theology called loci or these these topics and the first couple are on the authority question which is of ultimate really of ultimate significance here mm-hmm. um what are the theological uh, sources um for the christian faith is it is it just uh, scripture and of course again we talk about sola scriptura <laughs> because sola scriptura doesn't mean just scripture right it means scripture above everything mm-hmm. else that might be an authority um, or you know, is it is it more the three sources of right. uh, authority view uh, that the Catholic Church um, holds to, which would then include something like sacred tradition, mm-hmm. and then the teaching magisterium of the Church with the Pope as its as its head. Right. So they're going to be talking on that in April, and then we have in October, October eighteenth, we have uh, Wait, Jer- April when April nineteenth, April nineteenth, which is right. Sunday evening, 6 p.m. yeah, okay. at six p.m. Um, and then in October, October 18th, uh, we have Dr. Jerry Walls from Houston Baptist and Dr. Ed Fazer from Pasadena City College 
and they are going to be discussing the doctrine of papal infallibility. Uh, so those are uh, two events that we have this year. These are pretty well-known speakers, yeah. uh, all who've done ecumenical engagement before um, and really are at the top of, I think, the food chain when it comes to thinking about issues uh, like this. So we're pleased to have, have these kind of people coming to help us in this, in this project. Yeah. yeah, very good. Hey, since you mentioned some of those topics, uh, why don't we tackle some of them? They're hefty topics, <laughs> right? Well, so, wow. so sola scriptura. <laughs> what? Uh, that's part of the set of solas, right? Maybe yes. you can yeah. rattle it off and just maybe mention what. Uh, what's the big deal about sola scriptura? You're saying it's not really just the Bible. It's but you made well, some qualifications. And, 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 and some evangelical theologians have said that <clears throat> you know we should change. The language to not we shouldn't mm. use the sola scriptura because then you'd lose your the nice meta of all the solas, right. which is a nice <laughs> kind of way to remember what the Reformation was about. But um, you know, people have suggested ultima scriptura, um, and and this is uh, Matthew Levering has written a book called "Was the Reformation a Mistake," which I, unfortunately I think isn't the best title for the book because it's really just trying to <laughs> show that. Uh, Catholic doctrines are biblical, or at least not unbiblical. And Kevin Van Hooser has like a 40-page response at the right. back of that book, and they go back and forth on, on this. So I'd recommend uh, that book, especially on this issue of kind of what sola scriptura means. Sola scriptura, um, what the Reformers initially say is, it's just, it's the final authority. Mm -hmm. Because it is divine revelation, okay, it is the final form of divine revelation in that sense. Um Therefore, everything else must be measured by uh, the words of Scripture. And, and to some degree, when it, that, that is also the Catholic view. It, the the, the post-Vatican II va va um, uh, view right. of authority, and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, okay. is, that, is, is not that there's a <laughs> Don't second— Don't be too eager now. <laughs> it's not that there's a second source of revelation right. outside of Scripture. Mm -hmm. But, of course— we need a proper way to interpret scripture. Right. Yeah, well, it, it, the Vatican II, and actually back to Trent, they were very keen to not say two sources or two forms right. and land on uh, one or the other right. uh, when talking about sacred tradition or uh, scripture. And so, yeah, I... I would honestly. I mean, there was a two source. Yes, there view was. Of there the, was that. It's not been yeah. declared. What's the other source? So, uh, so the two source when we're talking about yeah. that is, is scripture and tradition. Mm, I see. Um, yeah. And then, where tradition is also a, a, a form of revelation, right. knowledge, right. Right. Okay. not just yeah, not just another form. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, uh, scripture is the the most tangible of the three in the Catholic right. uh, kind of schema. Okay. All right. Um. And, uh, you know, um, the one, there's about, you know, maybe 11 or 12 significant doctrines mm -hmm. uh, that I think we'll ultimately try and get through. Mm -hmm. um, and what I do want to say is, you know, these, these I mean, it's called truth that matters for a reason. And ecumenical dialogues can be difficult. I mean, there's a history mm -hmm. here <laughs> that mm -hmm. hasn't been too pretty, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, there's two dangers anytime we're tr you're trying to do something like this, where you're bridging a gap between very different views on propositional claims, on truth claims. Right. Okay. There's two dangers. Um, one that you can face, you can go to what Thomas Oden, uh, the 
uh, Methodist theologian called a hyper-relativism. Mm. Pope, uh, Pope Benedict called it uh, the dictatorship of relativism, right. where we just kind of say, well, you know, these, yeah. those, these things don't really matter. We just all love Jesus, so who cares whether or not, you know, uh, Mary is without sin or, you know, that's just, who cares? Right. You know, and we're not doing that. We're not doing an ecumenical engagement where we're just getting around and, and having a pizza party and eating gelato, right? We are interested in truth. We're still seeking that truth. We're just doing it together. Now, the other extreme is you get so polemical mm-hmm. that you literally find yourself on the other end of a gun, right? right. Which we've seen in, in history. Think of a, the Thirty Years' War uh, as an example of that where uh, – or just, you know, people bur- getting burned at the stake. So, right. I mean, the – you know these, or or maybe more recent, just mocking the other, yeah. the other camp, the other tr- faith tradition. You know, because you don't really understand it. Or even just the cultural wars. I mean, th- you think of Northern Ireland, right? Yeah. Right, Northern yeah. Ireland, things like this. So there's two dangers. One is to is to be so dogmatic, right, that you you can't even get to any kind of dialogue in a charitable, where you you basically you lose the pursuit of. Uh, Christ likeness mm-hmm. in the in that uh, defense of your doctrinal claims, you lose Christian virtue, the practice of Christian virtue. So you don't want that, but then you don't want to also embrace re- some kind of religious relativism, mm-hmm. where truth is just malleable and it dies in the streets. So we are trying to walk a, f- a line here of searching truth together, uh, and that is. Again, it's not something where we, we expect an answer. But one thing I learned just in Afghanistan is you can you can be in a just war, right? Which I think it was, um, without knowing what you know if you're ever going to see a result mm-hmm. or an end goal. And what I'd say is this is a just war. We're fighting a war together. We're co-belligerents on many things, and even if we don't have sort of an end state, because the ultimate end state is going to be when we're with Glory, Jesus right. in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, but we can still go down the road together and and do the process of learning from each other and trying to seek that truth uh, together. I like that. So I know Anthony. Um, I know this is public knowledge because again, it's on a podcast somewhere. But you had this experience that really, uh, uh, what you felt was your conversion experience, and it was really important to you. Which, in in many ways, in many significant ways, you would consider. Uh, the gospel, uh, you heard it afresh, and it compelled you to uh, maybe just turn your back on Catholicism in a ways. And you said something very uh, interesting there, which for evangelicals they take for granted, but you said at the moment that you felt this personal relationship with the Lord, with Christ, and it's not like those things are absent from Catholicism, but somehow that moment, it was really special. So I want to ask you, what what other things changed in your belief and practice after that moment of conversion? Right. Um, well, one of the, I mean, I think the first thing was, and again, I, I referenced this Bible that was given to me, um, is after that experience— I just consumed the Bible. Mm. I mean, I, I, I couldn't put it down. Mm. It was it just compelled me. Um, so again, when we say that the Holy Spirit illuminates the believer, 
I mean, I just experienced that concretely. I mean, I was just reading the Bible in and out. I went out and bought more Bibles, mm-hmm. different versions, different translations. And all I want, after that, all I wanted to do is, I mean, we went, uh, my wife and I went to one Catholic service after that experience. Uh, we're back down in North Carolina now. You know, and it, it was okay because I didn't know, coming out of Catholicism, is like, okay, what am I now? Like, there's mm-hmm. a, it's a real question for someone who grows up Catholic because, I mean, all we kind of heard, and again, this is straw manish, but growing up Catholic is, well, Jesus started the Catholic Church and Luther started the Lutheran Church, so why be <laughs> Lutheran, right? But, you know, it's come out of Catholic, you know, the Catholic faith, and you're like, and I know I love Jesus, right? I know mm-hmm. I love Jesus, I don't want to read my Bible because my Bible's starting to read me. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's all. So, but I got to find a church, but I'm like, I don't know, am I a Presbyterian? Am I Lutheran? Am I, Baptist? you know, what am I? You know, we stumbled, I say stumbled, I'm using air quotes because when my wife and I, we, we first walk into that, this evangelical church in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, Rockfish Church. Love that church, still do. We just knew. There was just this powerful sense of this is where you're going to start. And that's where my discipleship began, and I couldn't get enough of that church. And I was, I, I had the advance, I had the great um, benefit of that my first Bible teachers were all a bunch of special forces guys. <laughs> And these guys just attacked the scriptures the same way. I mean, they just loved scripture. And they were just – so we had these um, weekly called Military at the Cross Bible studies, and I could just couldn't get enough of it. And so those – I mean, just I wanted to be in church. I wanted to worship God. I mean, this was a very – one of our professors at Talbot, John Coe, who teaches spiritual formation, will talk about consolation. Mm-hmm. Like, I lived an f- incredibly sinful life for – decade and a half and i pursued everything that the world had to offer and when the lord met me at the age of 34 as an adult i mean my first several years i mean half the time i was just in tears mm-hmm. when i would walk into church or read the scriptures mm-hmm. so um so yeah everything really the trajectory just entirely changed yeah yeah in my life I love it. Now, Andrew, I'm going to come to you in a moment and ask you the same question. But before I do that, uh, for anyone listening, if you want to join our conversation, and we're talking about uh, Catholic and Protestant conversations and why we need them, uh, give us a call at 888-995-KKLA. Again, that's 888-995-5552. All right, Andrew, I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, and, and this might be sort of tongue-in-cheek. Mm. Uh, I I was intentional when I asked Tony, all right, what did you take away from yeah. <laughs> your faith? Because I always think, it, you know, Catholic is like Protestants plus. Mm. All right, so I'm going to ask you, did you feel like you had to add to your faith uh, to be a Catholic, to, to, to practice Catholicism? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and uh, actually, I think the best uh, summation of that kind of experience is put together by uh, Dr. Peter Kreeft in talking about how Catholicism is the, the coming into uh, something more from Protestantism. And so I didn't feel like I was necessarily leaving a whole lot behind. Of course, there's the significant doctrines, right, that we'll be discussing in Truth That Matters that my opinion had to tweak a little bit. But uh, the the cornerstone of that personal relationship with Jesus that was so emphasized in my growing up years that was just built upon in my discovery of the Catholic Church and all that it had to offer. And so for me, it felt like 
uh, the faith really becoming meaty and moving on from the milk. Um, but that was my experience. And so uh, seeing how my faith could play out day to day and as someone who cares more about intellectual things, not relying on my, my time on Sunday to get all of it from the pastor, but say, no, I can go study this mile, but Sunday is for worship. And so coming together for the sacrifice of the Mass and seeing that in its, I think, proper place on a Sunday. Um, not necessarily having to cater to me because it's not about me on a Sunday. So um, it was it was truly a, I think, an adding on, yes, but in a good way, in a growing okay, way. Okay, be, be more specific. What did you add on? You said Mass. Uh, yeah, well, s- seven books of the Bible. Okay, <laughs> a couple, couple more yeah. books of re- you know, that are re- yeah, you revelation. Go. Add or recovered, you know, however what you want to <laughs> spin right. it. Um, but, uh, yeah, just a... Uh, I think a, a more historical view of the church, uh, looking and paying attention to what historical theologians had been talking about in centuries past, not just in the past couple decades. Um, and I think actually touching on Francis Chan, um, you know, bringing up you know history from the first fifteen hundred years. I think a lot of his conversation around that is just him encountering that and saying, "How do I reconcile this?" Um, and so, yeah, looking more historically, uh, focusing on myself during the week in in seeing my time in church on, on Sunday as a time for worship and not to grow me uh, intellectually. Um, but yeah, and then uh, then drawing on the different practices that the Catholic Church has to offer. So Lexio, Lexio Divina. Mm-hmm. Uh, tried the rosary out. Uh, I'm still learning it and getting comfortable with it, mm-hmm. obviously. But uh, there's a whole lot of spiritual practices. And actually, you mentioned consolation, and that comes from... Um, St. Ignatius and his, his spiritual practices and, and looking into spiritual direction and stuff like that. Yeah, that's great. Sign of the cross, too, right? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And well, anyone a, can do that. I, there's a lot, yeah, I, I, <laughs> just what I was about. You know, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, look, right after the Reformation, there were what was called some of these controversies of the adiaphora, the, the, you know, mm. the other things. Um, and, you know, there are things here that I think, uh, again, I talked about spiritual ex- exchange of spiritual goods. There are things we can appropriate from both traditions. Right. Right. Um, if it's the Catholic getting more in, into a devotional Bible study, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, some of the, I think some of the longings that um, uh, evangelicals have, like that Francis Chan has articulated in friends of mine who grew up American as American evangelicals, and they... You know these desires for a more robust form of liturgy, mm-hmm. a, a greater sense of the metaphysical weightiness of the right. sacraments, things like this. You know you can have some appropriation here without necessarily abandoning your distinctives. Uh, so that's also I think where we can have a lot of good engagement, yeah. and there can be practices that we share. Yeah, there can and, some, and John pa- Saint, yeah. Pope Saint John Paul II in his yeah. letter Ut Unum Sint, which means that they all be one. Uh, John 17 again. Mm-hmm. I mean, his great invitation to dialogue between Christians is defined as that giving of gifts and receiving of gifts mm-hmm. in that dialogue. So yeah, a lot of the practices that uh, we've nurtured and grown in our own traditions, we can give to each other and I think greatly benefit from. Yeah, that's great. So. You know, what other ways can you um, like encourage our listeners to maybe start the process of not just thinking this, but maybe... Mm maybe trying out some practices or maybe giving it uh, a little bit more thought for those who are already doing those kinds of things, you know? I would start with reading some good books. 
I mean, that, that seems to be like one place you could start. I mean, you know, you, you want to read people like Peter Kraft and what he's got. To, I just read a, a book, uh, Prayer for Beginners. Man, what oh, a yeah. just powerful little book on prayer. Yeah. There's some things in there that a Protestant is not going to want to necessarily acknowledge as maybe true. But most of it is very, I mean, he quotes several of it. He quotes like John Wesley right. and, you know, some of the Protestant hymn writers so it is an ecumenical uh, book in that sense but i mean read good books by um the right people <laughs> yeah i mean i don't have time to go into yeah, a list yeah. but i you know i mean there are other books that, that should be read that are more that point out more the polemical that we don't have agreement on a lot right. of things i can recommend some of those as well jerry walls and kenneth collins have written a book it's a little on the polemical side but it's a defense of the distinctives right Mm-hmm. And a fair presentation of what the Roman Catholic views are. So we do need to get clarity on what these beliefs are, like what is justification on the Catholic mm-hmm. view as opposed to the Protestant view, and what are yeah. the doctrines of Mary as opposed to maybe not having many doctrines right. of Mary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah so there's you the, need clarity. You yeah, need there's clarity the, there's the education yeah. part of it. So you can you can read those good books. You can read Case for Catholicism by Trent Horn. Um, or if you're curious about what Catholics believe about Mary, uh, Behold Your Mother by Tim Staples. Mm-hmm. Um, so some great books out there if you're just curious about what your brothers and sisters believe. Um, but then also go have a conversation yeah. with, with yeah. the Catholic or Protestant, right. whatever you are. Yeah, yeah. Go to a mass or go to a worship and service. I, I'll add this. I want to add something because I know we're, we're almost out of time. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to the Eucharist, because this is very mm-hmm. important, my suggestion to Protestants is if you want to go, if you want to go attend a Catholic mass to mm-hmm. see what it's like, you have some Catholic friends. Please do not take the Eucharist at a Catholic mass. You don't believe the same things that the Catholic does. This is a very mm-hmm. serious issue for the Catholic. Transubstantiation is a very serious metaphysical view of what happens, and Protestants, I think, should refrain from. Oh well, I should you know this idea of like I should be able to take communion. Like no, you don't believe it. Yeah. Right, and you should believe that if you're going to go up and take it. So I just, I just wanted to add that right, here at right, the end right. because Thanks for that there time. are some things that we shouldn't maybe practice sure. as well, well. Well, let me push back on that. I'm just mm. curious. What, what would? Uh, no, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> taking over your show. What, what would, what would a Catholic feel about knowing that a Protestant has just sort of done that and has not taken it seriously, or has the uh, evangelical bent? about the Eucharist. Mm. Well, how would a Catholic feel about that? I mean, it's a desecration, really. It's, I mean, okay. if, you, if you don't believe that it's actually Jesus and it's just, or, a, uh, and it's just a symbol, yeah, okay. then you're not taking it with the right amount of gravity and you're not coming to it uh, in the right state and possibly you know, taking in condemnation upon yourself like Paul talks about. Now, on the so. alternative, I would say if a Catholic came to a Protestant service, I think right. they'd be welcome to... Because yes. it's a, it's it's not the same. I think a Catholic could take, yeah. go to an evangelical church and take a, a memorial, sure. uh, you know, bread and wine. It might not mean much to them, but yeah, you know. Yeah, I think I think Protestant churches are more welcoming of that. Sure, I, I know a lot of Catholics like myself who mm-hmm. would refrain. Yeah, um, just because of consistency. So there is a place to just respect each other as well, because yes. we don't share the same yeah. doctrinal yeah. belief, yeah. and I think we can do that charitably too. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, I'm just trying to to see if uh, if really. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. That's kind of a hard thing because I know Protestants right away they 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 think it's just a symbol. Mm-hmm. But uh, for a Catholic to do that at a Protestant church, 
Well, we should say that some product, because some Protestant views, true. like Luther view, is real presence. Yeah, so there are Protestant views that can be re- recapitulated, or, you know, that are, are more robust yeah, yeah. than mm-hmm. just... And, and maybe all of this could be for another show. Uh, it sounds like Absolutely. we launched into yeah. something right at the I know. <laughs> These are serious matters, like you said. But anyways, I hear the music, so we have just a few seconds um, you've been listening to Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope tonight is that you've learned some aspect about the Christian worldview that has strengthened your faith and make you want to learn more. So I want to say special thanks to you guys, Tony and Andrew, for being guests on our show, and for Gabriel, our valiant engineer back there who provides this awesome music and gives me the right cues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to say... Uh, Good night. Until next time. Yep. God bless. Squirrel went berserk. 